Be seated, please. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of hell and death. Because I live, you shall live also. Friends, we have gathered here this afternoon to praise God and to witness to our faith as we celebrate the life of John Edwin Banks. We come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. May God grant us grace that in pain we will find comfort, in sorrow, hope, and in death, resurrection. Would you pray with me? Let us pray. Eternal God, We praise you for the great company of all those who have finished their course in faith and now rest from their labor. We praise you for those dear to us whom we name in our hearts before you now. Especially this day, we praise you for John Edwin Banks, whom you have graciously received into your presence. To all of these, grant your peace. Let perpetual light shine upon them and help us so to believe where we have not seen that your presence may lead us through our years and bring us at last with them into the joy of your home that is not made with hands but is eternal in the heavens. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our hymn is Great is Thy Faithfulness. Would you stand as we sing together the first and third stanzas of hymn number 140.
Before you are seated, I would ask that you would turn to page 873 in your hymnal. And on page 873, you'll find the words to the 23rd Psalm. It is important that we find words of comfort and strength in the scripture. And these are words that are especially comforting and strengthening. Let's read them together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. We have the gift of hearing from John's grandchildren this day. And so I invite Peyton and Paige and Jeb to come forward at this time and continue to read to us from the scriptures. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search, and a time to give up. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, and a time to mend. A time to be silent, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. This is from John chapter 14, verse 1 through 7. As Jesus comforts his disciples, he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. On behalf of my sister, who, there we go. Who also couldn't make it here today with us and myself. Uh, my chapter comes from Romans. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are, mo- we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the past or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, and that is that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'd like to leave you all with a joke our grandfather used to tell us all the time, every year, every family gathering, and that is, what's the difference between a carpenter and an aviator? A carpenter planes the board, an aviator boards the plane. Oh, 
It is important that we hear from those whom John loved, those who knew him the best. And so I ask for his son and daughter to come forward at this time, John Jr. and Blair, both to come forward and to tell us about their experiences with their father. Good afternoon. On behalf of my sister, our mother, my wife, and the Banks family, thank you for coming out today. You honor John Banks by your presence. John Banks was an honest man, a smart man, a good father and grandfather. He loved his family. He taught us the value of hard work. He had a good sense of humor and enjoyed pranks. He liked to read and travel. He was a good lawyer. He was a loyal and good friend. He was charitable. He was a good Christian. He taught us the golden rule and to treat everyone with respect, no matter what was their background or job. A good father. John Banks set high standards of academic achievement for himself and his children and expected us to exceed them. He put a high priority on studying. He worked hard and expected us to work hard. He led by example. He would do whatever he could to help and support us. He would visit with our teachers, intercede on our behalf, defend our actions when necessary, and call us out when we deserved it. He taught us accountability with discipline, but he was loyal and always had our back. He had tough love before the term was even coined. A good sense of humor. My father enjoyed a good story, witty repartee, spending of time with his friends. He uh, was entertained by verbal sparring and academic arguments. Those of you who knew our father well may have felt the rapier barb of his acerbic wit. If you were on the receiving end and had been teased by our father, take heart that it was his way of showing that he liked you. He did not make fun of people he didn't like. A lifelong reader, John Banks loved to read. He regularly read several newspapers and kept up with current events and politics. He did not have much time for fiction, but he enjoyed reading about the war between the states and World War I and II. Our father regularly worked the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle, which he would complete in ink. A traveler. Our parents loved to travel, often working in a golf game when they could. They played some of the finest courses of the country, often traveling with like-minded friends. We visited a lot of museums when we were young. Every summer, we would load up the car and go for a two-week road trip. We went to the New York and Montreal World's Fairs. We visited California, Florida, Minnesota, Yellowstone Park, the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, Mount Vernon, Williamsburg, Monticello, and numerous Civil War battlefields. Our parents felt that we should see America first, and we did. Our parents taught us not to litter. They did not teach us to camp out. They taught us how to book a hotel room. (laughs) A good lawyer and civic-minded, John Banks was a third-generation lawyer who practiced for over 50 years in public and private practice. He was an assistant U.S. attorney for the Western District of Texas back when they only had two assistants. 
He's tried smuggling cases, but in the 1950s, people were smuggling cattle, not drugs. He served as a U.S. commissioner, which was the forerunner of today's U.S. magistrate position. He was active in the San Antonio Bar Association and served as its president. He was a director of the State Bar of Texas from 1969 to 1972. He served on the borders to the San Antonio Area Foundation and was its president. I understand our father was more interested in funding medical research than he was arts and cultural organizations. Some on the other side of those active funding discussions may have come to suspect that John Banks might just take a position to see how others would react. He was active on the Southwest Texas Methodist Hospital Board and served as its president. He helped in the creation of the Methodist Hospital Foundation, now known as the Methodist Healthcare Ministries, and served as its president. John Banks served on the board of the San Antonio Country Club in the Argyle. Our father taught us to get back to the community and that volunteering was good, except when you were in the wartime military. Big John, some of you may have heard that the John Banks' grandchildren refer to him as Big John. That was actually his second choice. My son, John III, was the first grandchild. He was born in November. At about, I guess when he was almost seven months old, he was starting to show an interest in talking. I know, some of you may be surprised that Banks' children start talking early. With Father's Day approaching, I got the idea that my son could learn to say his grandfather's name. Now, there's some common names for grandparents in this area. Opa comes to mind. My grandfather, Stanley Sr., was known by, his genera- by my generation as Paw Paw. Our grandmother, accordingly, was known as Ma Ma. So I went to my father and I asked, what would you like your grandson to call you? He answered, oh, great one. So I went back to the practice with my son for a week or so, getting nowhere. I went back to my father and I said, this isn't working out. How about another name? He said, Big John. I went back to practicing with my son and he said, Big John on Father's Day. Our father valued his friends and were loyal to them. He would have appreciated and been honored that you cared to come today. Our father taught us the value of brevity and with that I'll stop. Next is my sister, Blair Banks Perry. He had a mind of his own. A description of my father that several people used when I told them that he had died. A mind of his own. I looked at the meaning of the term, and it said, Independent thinker, you do things your own way, the way you want things to be done. I have to admit, my brother and I have inherited that also. In fact, I think every Banks member probably has that trait. Especially my dad, John Edwin Banks. Let me illustrate. When my dad was two, he was baptized at the same time as his baby sister, Eleanor. When he saw the minister sprinkle the water on her head, his eyes got big, and he decided to save himself, and he took off and he ran as fast as he could to the door. Just as he made it to the door, my embarrassed grandfather grabbed him and took him back to the minister, a mind of his own. My dad's short-lived acting career began and ended in preschool or maybe kindergarten. He was cast as a candle in the Christmas play. His costume was a cardboard cylinder with no armholes, and it was as long as he was tall. The flame was on top of his head. All you could see was his face. 
At some point, my dad tipped over in his costume, and he was unable to get up as his arms were pinned against his body in the cylinder. He rolled around on the floor during the entire play. Fortunately, a newspaper photographer was there and documented the scene, which appeared in the paper the next day. And we have the picture as proof, a mind of his own. As young boys, he and his beloved brother, Stanley, loved to visit their grandparents' house on Commerce Street. It was a large house with a turret, and they could sneak up to the turret and pour over National Geographic magazines looking for pictures of naked African women. When questioned about it, he said, education was very important to my parents, and that reading National Geographic was part of his education, a mind of his own. My dad and his siblings cried the day that their dog was hit by a car. They quickly calmed their grief by staging a funeral for their dog. They were in the middle of the funeral service when my grandmother walked out with a plate of freshly baked cookies. That wonderful aroma of the freshly baked cookies revived the dog, who actually had just been unconscious and jumped up to get a cookie. The funeral was ruined. The bank's children then cried because their dog didn't die a mind of their own. Dad was stationed in Guam as an airplane mechanic during World War II. He'd wanted to be a pilot, but he failed the eye exam. This is funny only because my dad was the least mechanical person in the world. He had trouble changing a light bulb. When John and I asked him how he managed as an airplane mechanic, he told us the two rules that he lived by. One, I always followed the pictures in the instruction manual. Two, I never flew in a plane that I worked on. A mind of his own. When my parents met in Dallas, my mother was in the fashion business. She had definite opinions about clothes and what was in fashion. My dad had no fashion sense. My mother overlooked that he was fashion challenged because she thought he was so funny. The joke was on her. From the time that they married, she picked out all of his clothes and would set them out every night for him, suit, shirt, tie, belt, shoes, and socks. She was also in charge of packing his suitcases when they traveled, too. He had the ability to get us to do what he wanted, a mind of his own. Anyone who knew my dad knew that he was a meat and potatoes guy. No fish and definitely no vegetables, Oh, except for canned lasur peas. He always said that he was allergic to vegetables, especially broccoli, a mind of his own. After serving as an assistant U.S. attorney and as a U.S. commissioner, he received a phone call from the White House. The Attorney General, Robert Kennedy, was on the phone asking my dad to move to Washington, D.C. to work in the Attorney General's office. My dad politely declined the offer, saying that his future was in San Antonio, working with his brother and his father in the family law firm, a mind of his own. Dad loved a school project. My brothers and my school projects, that is. He liked to come up with the idea and tell you how to execute it. He would participate much more than we wanted him to, but it paid off as we always got A's. Dad took the credit. He was especially proud of my seventh grade Texas history project, The Twelve Battles of Bear County, a mind of his own. He would always write replies to my letters to Santa. I have saved them all. But he would write something like, next year, no milk and cookies. I prefer carrots and celery. Rudolph and I are on a diet, a mind of his own. When I was 16, my parents gave me a car that had a stick shift. They thought it was important to know how to drive a standard transmission. 
He dropped me off at the dealership and told me, see you at home. I'd never driven a stick shift before. I can promise you by the time I got home, after stalling about a million times, I knew how to drive a stick shift. Dad was waiting for me when I sputtered into the driveway, a mind of his own. After learning how to drive a stick shift, I realized how easy it was to go really fast, and unfortunately I got a string of speeding tickets. John Banks felt that he stood for the law, so he had no patience if we broke it. For my first ticket, my dad made me appear in court, Terrell Hill's court, and a mind of his own. My dad was not warm and fuzzy. Most of the letters that he wrote me during college and throughout my adult life were signed, Your Affectionate Father, John E. Banks. As if I didn't know, a mind of his own. Last but not least, my dad, known as Big John by the grandchildren, embraced being a grandparent. Of course, he had a new audience to teach and to tease. He gave them nicknames, threatened to give snakes for birthday presents, beat the kids at Candyland, played Pretty Pretty Princess with my girls, and yes, I have a picture of him in a princess crown, went to every grandparent's day, quizzed the kids on U.S. capitals and multiplication tables, and took them to Disney World, where he rode every ride, including Tower of Terror. He relentlessly teased them for never being as smart, funny, or as good-looking as him, a mind of his own. We will miss John Banks, his integrity, his loyalty, his humor, but most of all, his mind, a mind of his own. The scripture passage that I've selected for John is from the Gospel of Matthew, the seventh chapter, beginning with verse seven. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Ask, and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for bread, would give your child a stone? Or if the child asks for a fish, will give a snake? If you then know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I do think that when Jesus taught his followers, he knew his audience. Jesus knew that no good father would give a child a snake. But did Jesus know that a good grandfather would teasingly threaten to give a grandchild a snake for his birthday? Probably. I don't suspect it would change Jesus' advice. A good grandfather jokes and gives good gifts. Good gifts are worth seeking even when there is teasing involved. I believed that Mr. Banks liked a good search. He was a professional student before there was such a thing. He had a college degree and two graduate degrees. He loved reading, but had no time for novels, history, especially the Civil War, and newspapers. He had a habit that he had learned from his father, buying the newspapers of several different cities on a weekend morning and reading them all. 
As a father involved in his children's education, John often knew about school projects, and as Blair said, would come up with the idea for the project, the good idea. But John didn't just supply the good idea. He also joined in on completing the project. I've wondered about this, because you all know John Banks' children and grandchildren. They are plenty smart. They could make A's on their own. And Mr. Banks certainly had enough to do himself. Between his work and his volunteer obligations, I don't think he had a lot of extra time on his hands. He didn't help with school projects because he was bored. I think he worked on those projects because he valued the search, the pursuit. He must have known what I believe and tell myself, that the journey is as valuable as the destination. Certainly the grade is important, but the lesson learned and the time together is even more valuable. Blair and John both remember family trips together in the car two weeks every August. They drove to many of the 50 states, not Alaska or Hawaii, but the other 48, took pictures in front of state capitals, visited state fairs, saw the countryside. This is a father, a man who loves a good journey. John's life was not without disappointment or tragedy. John's only and older brother, Stanley, two years older than John, died when John was 48 years old, and the brothers were very close. And I imagine that a piece of John's identity died with his brother. But our God does have an investment in the idea of resurrection, and the concept is so important that we see the concept of resurrection at work in our day-to-day life. John did, in fact, come through tragedy courageously and lived the second half of his life, providing both leadership and humor where it was needed. The ability to find humor in spite of tragedy tells me that the significance of life for John was not in the details or the specific instances of perfection, that the significance of life for John was in the overarching story, the search, the journey. I have laughed over the weekend thinking about Mr. Banks telling the family that if they wanted to hide something from Jack, they should hide it in the oven because she'd never find it there. (laughs) And the picture of Big John beating his granddaughters at Pretty Pretty Princess. You see, I own that game, and I know that if you're going to win that game, you have to accumulate and wear all the princess attire. That's a funny picture to me. Or when he referred to his military career as an airplane mechanic, John said he made sure that he didn't fly in planes that he worked on. He kept his sense of humor, and I believe that that attracted people to him I know it's true of his wife. She said that that was the most attractive thing about him, the thing she loved about him the most, his humor, and it was attractive to his children and grandchildren. Humor is, in fact, a wonderful way to express to our family that life is worth the trials, that life is worth the effort. It is true that we most often teach what is valuable by example, how we live. 
So through watching John Banks, those who loved him learned not only the pursuit of knowledge and laughter, but they also learned respect for the dignity of other people. They learned loyalty, and they learned the importance of working hard. I suspect that the easiest way to have offended John was to be disrespectful or disloyal or unreliable. That probably wasn't a place that people liked to be. John lived 91 years. He was born here in San Antonio. He played golf with three other friends every Saturday for 40 years of his life. He was married to Jack for almost 64 years. Their anniversary is coming up in a few weeks, April the 15th. He was a longtime member of groups and organizations that many of you are a part of. Many of you know John Banks well, and you know his family well. Maybe your parents knew him well. What a gift. To know someone for a long time, their strengths and their weaknesses, their best qualities, but also their imperfections. He let you learn from his life. And most importantly, I believe the testimony of his life encourages you to continue on in your own search, in your own journey. Jesus said, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. The kingdom is at hand. Would you pray with me? Oh God, all that you have given us is yours. At first you gave John Edwin Banks to us, so now we give him back to you. Receive John into the arms of your mercy. Raise him up with all your people. Receive us also and raise us into a new life. Help us so to love and serve you in this world that we may enter into your joy in the world to come. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our hymn is number 89. Would you stand as we sing together stanzas 1, 3, and 4 of Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee.
you are invited to join the family for a reception at the Argyle. Would you receive this blessing? May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>